Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 348, and our guest is one of you, a listener of the show who had an incredible experience this past fall. Brian was with his dad at an event, as you'll hear about, and Brian's dad won a doll sheep hunt in Alaska and then gave it to his son, gave it to Brian. Brian and his dad got to go on this adventure in Alaska to hunt doll sheep and caribou, and we hear the story about that, and it's just hard to beat something like this. A father and son in Alaska chasing sheep, and as you'll hear in the story, they got all kinds of adventure along the way. So yes, of course, this isn't a hunt that uh, you and I are going to go on tomorrow or this season. Maybe a few of you listening to this are lucky enough to have that experience. But even if you aren't hunting sheep in Alaska, there's a lot of information and inspiration to pull out of this story and out of this episode. And maybe it's going to help you make plans for the future to create some experiences, memories, and adventures with those that you love. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't yet, you can hit the subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. It would also help us tremendously if you share the show with a friend or leave a rating or review in your podcast app if you can. And last but not least, you can get in contact with us. You can send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com or leave us an audio message with a question you have for a future Q&A episode. Just look for the link in the show description that says, leave us a message. Right now, though, let's dive into the story with Brian. Well, Brian, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. I'm excited to chat with you today. Thanks, Mark. I'm super excited to be here. I appreciate all you guys do and have me on today. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, Anything you want to share, just kind of like personal context for listeners to know who you are, where you're from, things like that. Don't have to tell your life story, but just uh, kind of <laughs> a basic, uh, who am I? Yeah, for sure. So um, really just, I guess, who I am, um, just really just an, an average guy, man. I have a nine to five job. I, I work as a financial analyst for the Department of Defense. Um, got a wife and three kids. Uh, my wife's currently in her third year of pharmacy school. And so it's just really all about trying to keep the work life, family life balance and, and still try to get out on the mountain as much as I can and, and support my family. So, uh, um, grew up in Northern Utah. Um, that's where I currently reside and, and where I grew up hunting with my dad and, and just tons of awesome memories of, uh, I wouldn't say weekend warrior hunting, but, um, um, a lot of it was done on weekends where he'd drag me along. We'd, uh, load up in the camper in the truck. He'd, He'd tow the Scout, International Scout or the Bronco 2 behind, and we'd head for the mountains. And, uh, and just so many good memories with family and friends and uh, just lessons taught and, and just good times that I want to pass to my kids. And so uh, that's kind of, a, I guess, me in a, a quick, uh, quick version. Dude, anyways, so. that's cool, man. I, can, uh, I feel you in many ways, you know, nine to five kids and understand how busy things can be. And then my wife was recently in school for a few years and I know and specifically how pharmacy school is. Cause that's, uh, I worked at a pharmacy college for 14 years actually prior to EXO. So I know a bit about how intense that can be. So when you said all that, I'm like, Brian's got a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's intense, man. Like we've had school going in our house for a long time because prior to, to her doing that, I was working on my MBA and, um, and quite honestly, like, um, not that the MBA was super easy, but watching her go through pharmacy school, I'm like, wow, it's, that's no joke, man. <laughs> it's a tough program for sure. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So you mentioned your dad and growing up hunting and that kind of leads to a hunt we'll talk about today. But before we get into kind of the, the main topic of this particular hunt, if you reverse a little bit, your dad comes into the story and essentially leads up to uh, the hunt we'll talk about today. So tell us about 2018, um, his hunt, some of the things that happened at the Hunt Expo following and essentially how the hunt that we'll talk about today really came together. Yeah, for sure. So, so like I said, um, you know, my dad has always kind of been big into hunting. Uh, 
Um, in fact, my, my, both my grandpas hunted, but they, uh, they weren't like, I guess, quote unquote, as serious as my dad. Both of them really enjoyed fishing. In fact, one of my grandpas had the state record lake trout here in Utah for, I don't know, about five years in the, in the eighties. And, um, but my dad kind of took it to a different level. He was a little more serious. Um, wasn't just there to be there. Um, really tried to understand, uh, the animals, their behavior, um, how to be successful and, and try to pass those things, um, on to me. And I'm just super grateful for that, you know, and, and the experience that we have, experiences that we've had, um, on the mountain are just, it's really even hard to describe, but, but leading up to this hunt. So my dad had drawn a, a Rocky mountain, a bighorn tag here in Utah in 2018. And, um, and so, that was my kind of my first um, exposure to, to sheep hunting. And uh, he drew the tag. And, uh, you know, at the time, he, I think he was 68 at the time. So he was, he was getting a little bit older, but um, still was just had a strong desire to, to be on the mountain. And, uh, you know, called up an outfitter. He had a friend, um, Randy Johnson. I mean, the guy, Randy, is just like, you know, a legend when it comes to sheep hunting. And, um, and so I think, you know, as far as, uh, um, my exposure to sheep hunting, it couldn't have come in a better situation to be up there on that hunt with, uh, with him and Randy. And, um, there was another guy by the name of George law, uh, law. And he was, he's also just an avid, um, sheep hunter and just perfect setting, um, for me to be around. And, um, I happened to take my, my nine-year-old son Cade with, with us on that hunt and, um, just an incredible experience and um, just the little things that like Randy would do to, to teach us and to make it enjoyable. And I'll, I'll never forget how he treated my son um, just top notch individual and uh, you know, helping Cade learn and pointing little things out to him. And, and uh, as we'd be hiking, he'd, he'd ask him questions like, you know, how, you know, how do we get back to the four wheelers? You know, what, do, what would you do? What would you do in this situation? And, just uh, a really, really cool, cool experience. And um, unfortunately, we weren't there when the ram was harvested. It, I think we stayed about three days, and I think he got his ram on about eight, day eight or nine. And um, I'll never forget, um, you know, the, the, the feeling. The te- when he sent me the text that, you know, ram down, it was, it was just a, an unbelievable feeling. And, and he had to stop at my house on the way home to – to show me the ram and I got to put my hands on it. And, um, I think it, at that point it kind of went from, you know, I really want to go sheep hunting someday to, I have got to find a way to make this happen. I don't know what it is about, um, sheep hunting. I don't know if it's the, um, the uniqueness of the animals, um, the rugged terrain they live in, the, the style of hunting, or maybe how rare it is to draw a tag, but, it was kind of at that point where I was like, you know, this has got to happen somehow or some way. And, um, so at that point, you know, I just started, um, trying to, you know, put in for tags or for raffle, raffles, like wherever I could, um, try to save a little money just to make it happen someday. And, um, fast forward to, uh, to 2020, um, February. So the Salt Lake city hunt expo, it's right before COVID. I mean, we're like what a month away before COVID kind of hit and shut things down. So um very fortunate that, that, uh, that we got in at that time or this may not even have happened. And so we go to the hunt expo and um, I guess prior to that, um, you know, I, I found out about the full curl society banquet and started looking at the raffles and decided I was going to, was going to join and, enter some raffles. And so I was talking to my dad and kind of, uh, explaining to him the situation and, and, uh, kind of coaxed him or convinced him to, to put in for some of these raffles. And, um, so we go to the banquet and, um, as you know, I mean, it's just packed. There's so many people there. The barrels are of tickets are just chuck full. And you think to yourself, there's, there's no way, there's no way this is going to happen. And, uh, you know, we're sitting around at the table and they're going through the whole, the whole program and uh, get to the, the drawings. And, and I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was probably, um, 
one of the last hunts drawn. Maybe it, there might have been a couple after it, but they get to the to the, the hunt that he actually drew and uh, going through. And you know, they kind of build it up. They're they're saying, you know, this person's from this place, and their name starts with this, and kind of you know make it exciting. And um, they got to to this particular hunt, and um, and they're like, you know, this person's from Utah. And, names his name starts with a p his first name's paul and we're like no there's no way then all of a sudden when they said paul twitchell i mean we we absolutely flipped like we were yeah. going nuts and um we're going nuts my nine-year-old son's going nuts um i guess he was 10 at the time but we're just we're freaking out you know what i mean just yeah. like unbelievable there's so much buzz in those rooms man like it's such a cool environment Oh yeah. I mean, you, you nailed it. It is, it is electric in that room. And it, I, I kind of just blanked out everything after that. I could have, my name could have been in like the bucket for the last two hunts they drew, but I was not even listening. Um, we were just flipping out, <laughs> going nuts. And, and I just, I just remember like feeling like so excited for my dad. I was like, Oh my gosh, I am so happy for him. This is so exciting, you know? And um, so we're celebrating flipping out and um and he motions me he's like hey brian come here come here so we you know we're thinking oh he just wants to come up and have us join him be there you know he's talking to the outfitter and um he i get there and me and Cade walk up and he's like brian he's like um i want to give you this hunt and i was like what (laughs) and i was taken back because i mean anybody that like is a serious hunter or knows anything about sheep hunting knows uh knows what he's doing here. I mean, this is big. And, um, I'm like, dad, I, I can't accept that. I really, I can't, I can't do it. You know? And he's like, no, he's like, I really, really want to give this to you. And, um, you know, I could tell he was a little bit emotional as he was doing this. And, um, and, um, I just, I, I was floored. And later he told me, he's like, you know, Brian, that was like the, the hardest yet the easiest thing I've ever had to do. And apparently he had, made the decision beforehand that if he drew any of those hunts, he was going to give it to me because he wanted me to experience a sheep hunt of my own and, and knew how hard that opportunity was. And so, uh, he, he gave it to me and, and it was, it was pretty, pretty neat. Cause after my son, um, he's 10 at the time. He's like, dad, um, you know, I was sitting at that table and, uh, I said a little prayer that you'd, you'd win a sheep hunt and grandpa won it and gave it to you. So my prayer was answered. <laughs> That's so cool, man. <laughs> I was like, that's that's cute, but faith of a child. Yeah, but, um, just super super cool experience, um, and um, just one that will forever be in, in our memories. Yeah, man, that's so cool. I darn near get emotional just hearing that story and <laughs> and thinking of you know my dad, who's not even a hunter, but just how as a dad. I've received things from him that I know have been a sacrifice. Um, And you often don't necessarily realize that till later. And then even thinking with my own son now, who's getting ready to turn 10, it's like, it's, it's a joy to be able to give them something they desire. Right. And so just thinking of even him having the opportunity to do that is like, it's cool, man. That's super cool. Oh yeah. And, and like, I mean, like you said it, it's, it's uh, as you, as a father, as your your children grow up and stuff, you you start to kind of get the the other end of things and start yeah. to see kind of what your dad was feeling or experiencing, and it, it's 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 really one of the coolest things. I'm I'm absolutely loving it. So, and in fact, my son he was he he wanted to go so bad um, on this sheep hunt, and um, and I I felt awful like just knowing that it wasn't something at his age that he could handle. And, um, but he wanted to go so bad and, and, uh, I had to tell him, you know, but I, I, I really want to take you, I really do, but I'm going to have to take you to Alaska another time, try to make it up to him. You know, I'm like, you know, if, when I draw my, if I can draw my moose, my once in a lifetime moose before you're 18, I'll mentor it to you and you can take, that, you know, it was like, yeah. it was a consolation, but, but it was hard, but yeah, it's, it's a cool, super cool. Yeah. So you mentioned Alaska, uh, you won this hunt. What was the range, uh, what range were you headed to and what species was it for? Yeah. So, um, this, this particular hunt was for, um, doll sheep and, um, it was in the Brooks range with, uh, Alaska Outfitters Unlimited. So Aaron Blomquist and, um, I can't say enough good 
about Aaron and his operation, him and his wife, Angie, just absolutely wonderful people. Great to work with and just made it um, an unbelievable experience. And so I, I think I'd be um, ungrateful if I didn't thank them and for providing the hunt and also the Folk Pearl Society for, for uh, doing the raffles. Um, just made an opportunity for an average guy to have the hunt of a lifetime and uh, for, for, will forever be grateful to them for that. So you win this hunt in the moment and even I'm sure for like days and weeks following, there's all kinds of thoughts running through your mind. And I'm sure, as you said, you're talking with the outfitter at that time, potentially making a plan. But as you said, this is right before COVID changed the world. Did COVID have a big effect on what would that what this hunt would become in terms of delays or anything like that? You know, it really didn't. We were fortunate enough in that with it being Alaska and not a, uh, a Northwest Territories hunt that that COVID didn't really have an impact because the I know that um, like the spring hunts that year, the bear hunts and so forth, they were impacted. But um, by the time August rolled around, they were able to get their sheep hunters in in 2020. Our hunt was for 2021. Um, so it was a ways out. And so it really didn't didn't affect affect us at all um and in a in kind of looking back on it and reflecting too like at the time you're thinking wow this is 18 months away from when we want it that is a long time and Mm -hmm. um but really like half of the fun was the anticipation um Mm -hmm. just you know trying to prepare you know just whether it's training or um gathering gear or um you know, just watching sheep hunts and talking about it and stuff. The anticipation was a, a great, um, I guess, portion of the hunt that um, really added to everything. And so, and, and the time actually did go by fast. And so, but I guess to answer your question, no, it didn't, it didn't uh, have an impact. I fully agree on the anticipation. I mean, even whether it's a hunt or even the times that we've done like family vacations and family trips and we know about it months and months in advance. And sometimes we tell the kids, right? Like, Hey, we're going to go do this, but it's not till next summer or whatever, like planning that the anticipation of it, looking forward to it. That really helps you like almost anticipate and then soak in the experience when it comes. Whereas if you like something happens really fast and then it's over fast, it's like, I don't know that I really soaked that in. So I could see how there's like a, it would be really hard to be patient for the sheep hunt, but at the same time, it kind of made it sweeter in a way. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, there's always good to have something to look forward to. And it just, like you said, it just adds to the experience and gives you the opportunity to really to soak it in and, and think about it. And, and uh, just, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing about it at all. It was, it was great having that length of time to to prepare and to anticipate. So, yeah. Yeah. So in those 18 months, you already just kind of briefly mentioned training and preparation and gear and things like that, but elaborate on anything you did, anything that worked well, didn't work well in that time or anything that stands out from preparing for the hunt. Yeah, for sure. So, um, um, I, I'll be honest. I'm not really like a big gym guy. (laughs) And so, um, I have a hard time being really like structured as far as like, um, some people like being in the gym, but I did want to be prepared for this hunt. I knew that if I wasn't physically, um, where I needed to be, that it wouldn't be the same experience. And so, um, probably, I don't know. I, I did some things, um, you know, you know, right away, um, but probably about eight months out, I was like, you know what, I really would like to, to drop some weight. Um, you know, it's same difference. You're counting ounces on your pack and how much you're carrying, you know, it's the same thing with your body weight. And so I really just, I mean, real simply just try to focus on, uh, you know, a calorie count and some macro goals, and then just put together a, a training plan, um, you know, where I, I'd, I'd exercise five six days a week and mixing kind of some strength and some cardio just to try to get down to the weight that I wanted to be. And that worked fantastically. Um, I was able to drop like 25 pounds. I felt lighter and better than I had in quite a while. And then I just hit the trail. Like I, I mean, I started, um, hiking, um, I was mountain biking. I was doing a little bit of trail running and I really have no excuse because I, I live right here on the Wasatch front and it's like, the perfect training ground. Um, 
I can, you know, drive 15 minutes from my house and have a, a mountain that I can climb and gain like, you know, 2,500 feet of elevation in a mile and a half. And so I was in the perfect spot. And so that's what I did. I just, I just went, I just hiked and, um, you know, I, sometimes the hikes were short, sometimes they were longer. Um, I remember one hike, um, my brother-in-law, he, he's a big outdoorsman, not necessarily in hunting, but, um, just real big and outdoors. And he's like, come on trail run with me. And so we took off and by the time it was done, we had, we had gone, um, um, 10 and a half miles round trip and gained 4,200 feet of elevation. And that was, that was, it was good training, but man, I could feel it the next couple of days. And, um, and so it worked out really good. And the only thing that I'd really change about what I did was I think I would hike more with weight. Um, I didn't do enough hiking with weight on my back. Um, it wasn't enough to really affect my hunt to make it undoable or, or not pleasant. But, um, I think that's one thing that I would change is hike a little bit more with weight on my back. So what about gear? Does anything stand out in terms of, I don't know. I, I feel like some guys are tempted to, was this at Wilmy assist as well? Was this your first trip to Alaska? Um, first hunting trip. I'd been there fishing before, so it was my first hunting trip. And, um, yeah, it was, um, I listen to a lot of podcasts on gear and I really appreciate your guys' podcast and your perspective. Um, so, so helpful and, um, just try to dial in, you know, obviously, cause you're trying to balance that, you know, that of having what you need, but having the least amount of weight as possible. And so you're kind of trying to go with just essentials and it was, it was new to me. So, um, I just tried to, to gain as much information I, as I could that was out there um, talk to people that went, um, I already knew my, my pack. I absolutely love my XO pack. Like, and I actually bought it from, um, you guys at the hunt expo in Salt Lake in 2019. So I had two seasons under my belt using the XO, um, prior to going to Alaska and, um, was real comfortable with that pack. I, I mean, I really loved, um, numerous things about it, you know, um, the, how light it was, the durability, the functionality of it, but probably more importantly, like that it's just comfortable. It's just super comfortable. And so I was set there and then I started going into my other gear. Um, I talked to, uh, Ryan Faust. Um, he's the uh, owner of King's camo and he was like super, super helpful. And I can't say enough about him too. Cause I mean, he's done so much to improve that brand and, um, their XKG and XK seven lines, um, were, um, phenomenal. Uh, they, it, they, you know, not only met my expectations, but exceeded them and, um, just super grateful, um, for that gear. And yeah, just kind of had the normal gear that you take on a, um, unsupported backpack hunt, you know, with the, you know, the, the lightweight rain gear and the down and trying to find boots that, that were, you know, good for your, feet, um, trekking poles. I, I'd never really used trekking poles before and, um, using those, uh, on that hunt, um, just absolutely lifesavers. And so that's kind of just a high level look at some of the gear that, that I took, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a, a, a new, new thing for me as far as that goes. That's cool. I'm, you know, any, guided outfitter hunt as well. They're always going to be very helpful on having recommended gear. And just one thing to encourage guys with is listen to them. <laughs> like there's a reason, um, that they have suggestions and there's, especially with a destination hunt like that, even say sheep hunting in Alaska is generic, like even being in the Brooks versus the Alaska range, like there could be differences in gear selection, uh, that are very intentional. Um, and so always just listen to their suggestions as well. Yeah, that's great advice, Mark. Um, Aaron did have a list for us and originally we were going to go on the float hunt. Um, and so our list was a little bit different, but you know, about a week to heading out, he, he shifted gears on us a little bit and, uh, we ended up not doing the float hunt. So our, our list changed a little bit, but that's, that's really sound advice because yeah, they'll, be really specific to their area. So, yeah. Did he, how was that? Like uh, just a curveball coming at you shortly before the hunt? Was that, you know, did it cause any, I don't want to say concern, but it was at a shift in mindset for you or you just kind of rolled with it? You know, yeah, we kind of rolled with it. I mean, I, I, I'd be lying if I said we weren't like 
you know, really looking forward to that, that aspect of the hunt of being on a float hunt. But, um, due to his circumstances, he, uh, he had a, a guide blow out his knee right before, and he was trying to fill in. And then he was seeing what hunters he had come out and he wanted ones that had experience rafting. And so it was, it was really no big deal. I mean, we were just happy to be there and it was not an issue. Um, and, uh, but it, it did change our gear a little bit, not a ton, but, um, no, it, it wasn't too bad. Mindset going into the hunt, such a, such a big opportunity. You know, it's easy to feel a lot of weight when it's not only a special species, but also in this case, you know, a gift that your dad sacrificed for you. Where was your head at just heading into it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that was probably one of the biggest things with me is like, um, you said it, I mean, with any hunt, you, you kind of have certain expectations or goals going into it. And it's only magnified on a hunt like this. You know, you, I uh, quite honestly, I, I hope it's not the last sheep, sheep hunt I ever go on, but there's a chance it could be. And um, so I had expectations going into it, uh, but I really, I really, really wanted to, to not let the kill define the hunt, the kill or no kill, I should say. Um, I wanted to soak in like every aspect of the hunt. Um, I wanted to enjoy everything, even for, I, I wanted the full experience. I wanted to experience weather. I wanted to experience steep climbs. I wanted to have blown stocks. I, I wanted to have the full experience just to, to have that in my memory bank. And I kept going back to like, you know, like, okay, if I don't get a Ram, am I going to be disappointed? I, I've got to like prepare myself that, you know, it's about the full experience and it's just not about getting a Ram. And I think every hunter knows that, you know, hunting is not necessarily all just about the harvest. Um, I'll, I'd be, I mean, I don't want to downplay it cause that's, you know, that's why we go. And if we were never successful, then maybe it wouldn't be as fun, but, but really it's the whole picture. And that is really what I wanted to get out of it. Um, I didn't really set expectations on, um, you know, the size of Ram or anything like that. I just said, you know, I'm going to enjoy the experience. I'm going to, not take it for granted. If I get a Ram, it's just going to be that much better. And, um, that was my mindset going into it, whether or not, you know, <laughs> if it would have turned out that way, if I wouldn't have got one, I don't know, I guess I never will, but, um, that's what I was trying to achieve, um, with the hunt. Yeah, that's good. Talk us through just getting there. So I'm not sure if you had like flown, you know, small planes and all that for that fishing trip you mentioned in Alaska, but begin to tell us the story and beginning with the travel of just getting from Utah to the Brooks range and what that looked like. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so we flew, um, Alaska air and we, uh, I'd always heard, um, you know, when you're trying to go, um, hunting, try to avoid LA. And so we tried to plan everything to go through Seattle. And so we flew through Seattle, um, to Fairbanks um, then we spent the night in Fairbanks and the next morning we got up and we, uh, went to Wright Air, um, the flight service to get us into the Brooks. And, um, we flew in on a, a four seater Helios and, uh, it was, I'm trying to remember, it's probably like a, I don't know, two and a half, three hour flight on that Helios into the Brooks. And, um, that was honestly, that was one of the, the coolest aspects of the of the hunt just to be in that that tiny aircraft and you know you're taking off out of fairbanks and um you're cruising along it i'm trying to remember what it was 125 miles an hour or something like that and and you get you fly across the yukon flats and uh you, you enter the brooks range and it's just it's it's hard to even put into words the vastness um the ruggedness the beauty uh, of that of the brooks range i mean you're literally i mean how you're what you know 80 100 miles maybe less to the to the arctic ocean i mean you're clear up there and um um i in fact i go back and i look at my videos and my photos of the flight in all the time and it, <laughs> it never gets old <laughs> yeah. never gets old but um yeah so we we uh we did that and then we flew into our base camp from there and um you know, I, I also, I didn't know how I'd react with the, I'm like, how am I going to react when that plane takes off? And, and I know that 
the only way I'm getting out is that thing comes back and gets me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm sure it'd be different if you're solo, but um, it was just an incredible experience and uh, one that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, we're flying in. Um, one thing that sticks out, we're flying in and we're coming through this valley and you're flying pretty low. And uh, we fly over this herd of about three to 400 caribou. And that was just unbelievable. It was, it was almost like you're in a National Geographic film or something like that. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> super cool, super cool. But, That's awesome, man. Yeah, those moments alone, like you're, you're all excited going into the sheep pump. And you have those moments like that. And you're like, ah, I'm not saying it's like worth the trip, but it's, it's part of it, right? Like it's, it's pretty invaluable to just have those small, call it small experiences like that. Oh yeah. That, yeah, for sure. They, they add up and it all goes back to soaking it in, you know, and yeah. enjoying every aspect of it. So yeah, for sure. Cool, man. So you guys landed a base camp and then is the plan like almost immediately maybe have one night there or something like that, but you guys are going to kind of start hiking to a spike camp or what does the logistics of the hunt begin to look like once you're on the ground in the brooks? Yeah. So, so we, we landed in, in our base camp and, um, our base camp, we actually had another group of hunters in there. So we had um, me and my dad, um, our guide, and then another hunter, his guide, and then they had a packer. And so that was our base camp. And um, the plan was is just to split out from there. So we got in there the first day and just kind of got settled. We uh, um, zero matra rifles were still on, and um, it was really cool because we get into to this base camp and I've used it, you know, for, I don't know how many years. And so there's piles of caribou sheds and moose sheds and just, you know, you think to yourself, man, if these, if this camp could talk, man, what kind of stories would it tell me of what has happened here and all the experiences? And, and, uh, so we, we sighted in our, or made sure our guns were still sighted in and, and kind of got settled. And then the next morning, um, we woke up and, uh, got breakfast and got everything loaded up. We loaded up our camps, um, five days of food. And then we just set off for, uh, for spike camp. And, um, it was kind of interesting because, um, our guide, um, Sterling Whitaker, he, uh, he's from Colorado, just an outstanding person, um, has his own guiding business down there. Um, he, uh, he actually was new to the area. So I told you earlier that, um, Aaron had had a guide blow out his knee. And so he needed somebody to fill in kind of last minute. And Sterling, um, he had guided in the Wrangles for, I don't even know how long, like 18, 20 years. So he had a ton of sheep experience under his belt, but he was new to the area as well. And um, that, I don't want to say that was a disadvantage, but it was, it was a challenge. And, um, and in some ways it was actually kind of cool just because he didn't know what was around the next corner, the same that we didn't. And so so we were talking with the other, with the other guide, um, Blake, and, um, he was kind of saying, yeah, yeah, maybe you ought to go here, go, go up this drainage. And, and what I kind of learned from it was, um, um, f- from talking to him is that typically, I guess the sheep don't a lot of times hang out in that main drainage, that main river drainage. Um, I don't know if it's just cause wolves travel the drainage more frequently. They kind of get off in these side drainages. And so we'd kind of come up with a plan to go, um, up river, um, a couple side drainages and then go back in. And at that point we weren't really, we weren't really sure if we were going to, you know, loop clear back around to camp, take that five days and loop back. Or if we were going to go, you know, just to a certain point and then come back to camp. Mm-hmm. And so, so the next day we, we set out for spike camp and, um, just not, I guess, exactly knowing for sure where we were going to go. Um, but it was interesting cause you, you look across the, the, the main drainage and you're saying, okay, we're going to go to this side drainage. And it seems like it's always oh, just right there. You know, and you start hiking <laughs> and three, three hours later, you're like, man, we're not there yet. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> yeah. And so it was just insane. And then you're hiking on, you're hiking on tundra and <laughs> got your full pack. And, um, uh. it, it was a challenge, but I was, I'm super impressed with my dad. Like he, he, uh, I mean, he's 71 and he's doing this. He's got his full camp on his back. He's muscling it out and, um, just unbelievable, you know? And so, um, so we took that full, I think we started hiking out to, to our first spike camp. I want to say it was around 11 o'clock or noon. 
And we got to where we wanted to set up about 7.30, 8 o'clock that night. And so um, it was, it was a little bit of a grind, but, uh, yeah. but it was, it was cool. We, you know, saw grizzlies, we saw grizzlies almost every day, um, hiking in, um, saw musk ox, which was really cool. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I did not expect to see that, but it was super cool and, uh, got out there to, to, you know, the, we didn't quite make it where we wanted to the first night, but, um, we'd gone far enough. And so we, we found a location and, we're going to set up, set up camp. And, uh, and, uh, at the time we're like, well, let's just peek around, you know, the next little, um, ridge right here and to see if, if there's a better spot to, to set our tents and stuff. And we go around and there's a, a grizzly feeding in that, in the bushes in there. And we're like, Nope, <laughs> that's not a good spot. <laughs> so we went back and, and, uh, that was a little bit eerie, you know, setting our tents up a couple hundred yards from where we'd seen a grizzly, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but it was super cool. So that was kind of our experience of, you know, progressing from base camp to, to, uh, to our first spike camp area. Dude, covering ground up there, as you said, is so deceiving. Um, the, the caribou hunt that we did in the brooks, I remember the first day, yeah, there was a group of us all together, like six, seven guys. And then there was what, four of us that split off to go chase a caribou. And we have to go like down into the bottom and cross this massive basin and come up the other side. And the other guys who stayed back were just glassing us and going, why are they going so slow? Like they're, they're trying to get after this caribou, but this caribou is going to be gone. And what are these guys doing? They're moving so slow and there's no sense of urgency and blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, we're down in the bottom, like crossing a river four times and all this country that you really can't see or have perspective on until you're in it. And so dude, just you talking about that makes me think of it so much because it's big vast country and so neat to look at and then you start moving and you're on the tundra and you don't feel like you're going anywhere and it's wild <laughs> yeah yeah that's for sure man so true yeah those like you'll look across and it looks flat and you're you'll go through these huge like drops and valleys and stuff that seem to take forever <laughs> yeah wow. yeah good point so you're essentially covering ground you feel like you're really in the country now how's the next day go when do you actually even first spot a ram because i'm sure that that was a cool moment whether it was legal or not (laughs) yeah for sure so um so we actually had spotted one ram um the day before um clear down the main drainage and so we had seen a ram at that point um it was a long ways off but but keep in mind um the season hadn't opened yet. So the season hope opens on August 10th and, um, we flew in on the seventh, um, made our push to our first spike camp on the eighth. So we're waking up that first morning, um, in spike camp on the ninth. So the day before the, the season opens. And, um, I guess technically, I mean, you know, once it hits midnight, we could shoot a Ram at that point. So you're technically, you're really just trying to, to find ramps and get on them and be ready when the season opens. And, um, the thing that was kind of cool is, I mean, it's light 24 hours at that time. Um, it gets kind of dusky, um, at a certain time of night, maybe like three to, to four in the morning. It's almost like evening type light, but it's light 24 hours. And so we wake up that first morning on the ninth, and, um, you know, we just, decided okay let's we don't know for sure what's up this drainage let's just try to gain some elevation and you know put eyes on something and 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 develop a plan and and the thing that was kind of interesting like i didn't know this about sheep hunting um it's just different kind of hunting than i'm used to um i didn't you know you don't wake up like super early um and the animals are, their behavior is different. I just, it's just different than I was used to. And I, and I was thinking originally, I'm like, you know, oh, we're just not waking up that early. We'll get up at seven and have breakfast just because it's light so long. You know, there's only so many hours in a day and you'll just burn yourself out by hunting that long. But it really was more, more to it than that. Um, after talking to my guide, he was saying, well, you know, the, the sheep can't, um, digest their, uh, digest their, their food standing up. And so they have to lay down. So they'll feed, they'll feed for a while and then they'll go lay down. 
And so really we're waking up after they've fed in the morning or finding them bedded and then watching them for when they get up and feed again and watching where they bed again. And then we have about four hours to make a play on them of how long they'll, they'll lay there to digest their food and chew their cud. And I had, I did not know that at all. So that was kind of unique, um, to the style of hunting. Um, and, um, and I'm not like a real super patient person. I like to move, and get, um, go from ridge to ridge. And you really can't do that in that country. You just got to get high and let your glass do your walking and find something and then make a move. And so, so that first morning, um, on the ninth, we wake up, we, we gain some elevation. Um, and, um, you know, probably after about two hours of glass and we, we spot these band of five rams and they're probably two miles out. And, um, clearly two of the rams are not legal. We couldn't tell on the other three. And so we kind of watched them for a while and then they got up fed and then went around a, another ridge up another side drainage up the, up the bottom. And so we, we went back down to camp, um, you know, decided, okay, we're going to go back up there, see if we can get on them, um, loaded up whatever extra gear we needed, took off, went up there, um, and, um, actually went up in and found these rams and they were in a, like a little bowl and we had them, gosh, they were close, man. We had them like 250 yards but they never would give us the angle to tell if um, the other three were legal. And so we're watching them and watching them and we can see one isn't one was like a real nice heavy Ram that was um, broomed on his left, but full on his right, but he wasn't complete full on his right. So he wasn't legal. Um, there was another one that was broomed on the right that looked like he might be full curl on the left. And then there was a double tipped Ram, which we really liked the look of and we weren't sure on him. And so we watched them and, and we watched them till like, gosh, about 10 30, 11 o'clock that night. So, um, and the, the wind kind of, you know, changed on us and we didn't want to blow them out. So we backed back out, went back to our camp and um, decided we, the next morning we were going to wake up and move our camp um, down the drain or up the drainage closer to where these rams were and try to get on them the next day. And um, so we did that. At that point, we, um, the next morning, we moved our camp up and, um, and found these rams again. And it's kind of interesting because um, they'd gone up an, another side drainage. And um, we're, uh, we didn't know where they were at this point. And uh, we're, we're easing up the side drainage. And, and bam, all of a sudden, they're just right there. And I don't know how they didn't see us. Um, they were right above us. And they were only, you know anywhere from 300 to 450 yards kind of scattered on these cliffs and we just we hit the deck we we kind of luckily there were some willows right there and we kind of just took a couple of steps and got into those willows for some cover and um just were pinned down by these rams but at, once again i mean they, the angle we're looking straight up at them and um just not a good angle to tell if any of them were legal and you know as you know uh in Alaska, it's, it's got to be either full curl on one side um, or it's got to be double broomed and meaning that they've completely rubbed off their lamb tips on both sides um, or it's got to be eight years old. And uh, Sterling was like, you know what, we're, we're not counting rings. There's, there's no way we're doing that. That's too risky. And so we're just trying to see if anything's, you know, full curl on one side or if it's uh, double broomed and just did not have the angle at that point. We're pinned down by these rams for like four and a half, five hours before they, before they got up, it starts raining at the time when we're just, you know, trying to barely move and get what pieces of rain gear we could out of our bags to try to cover us <laughs> to stay dry while we're pinned down by these rams. And, um, eventually they kind of just, uh, moved off, um, kind of the same direction they'd came where we'd seen them the night before. And, um, and so we eased up, um, went way back down the, the drainage towards camp. And at that point, my dad was kind of like, he was super smart about things. He was like, 
um, you know, conserve his energy when he needed to, um, make the pushes when he had to, and just really smart about things. And, and he's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of hold off on this when you guys go ahead and go up. He, he knew this, this, uh, ridge we were going to go up was pretty nasty. And, um, one of the, the more difficult ridges that I've hiked up in terms of not just steepness, but I mean, the, the rocks on it were just so loose. I mean, there was like softball sized to like two to three foot boulders and nothing was stable. I was like worried I was going to bust a trekking pole going up through there. Um, but anyways, we, we get up there and we get on these rams again. And of course the double tipped one we want to get a good look at is, is clear up the other side. They've kind of spread out a bit. And so we can't get a good angle on him. And, you know, after a few minutes he's gone, but then this, uh, this ram, this other ram, the one that's um, roomed on his right comes and he comes right across for us and he beds down on the, on the hillside at like 320 yards. And uh, we're looking at him, and got the spotter on him. And um, finally Sterling was like, Hey, come look at this. And I go over and he's like, what do you see? And I look through and I'm like, I, I think I see a legal ram. And he's like, he's like, yeah. And uh, he's like, well, I'm like, well, what do you think? And he's like, well, I think your, your expression kind of told me. Um, and I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I decided to pass him. He was a real tight curled ram. And I didn't think I would pass a legal ram. And, uh, but he kind of knew by, by the way that I acted when I saw it that, that I wasn't going to shoot it uh, first day. And so we backed out. And, man, that was tough. Was that, about question. It Was that, like, intentional? Or was that just, like, in the moment you were just, like, had some sort of call it, I don't want to say subconscious, but like internal piece of like, yeah, that's not the one, you know, and that's a good question. I think it was more subconscious in that, like I saw this Ram and I, I don't know. I, I just didn't really like the look of him. And I think having that other double tipped Ram, um, in the group and I knew they weren't going far. Um, I just decided to, you know, this, this isn't the one. And it kind of shocked me in a way, because I didn't think after what we, you know, talking to the other guides and what I've had learned from listening to others about sheep hunting, I didn't think it was, you know, I, if you see a legal round, you take it. And, and so I was kind of surprised myself in doing that. And I'll tell you what, like the whole rest of that night and the net, and until I got my ram, I was questioning myself big time. I was like, did I do the right thing? Should I have done that? Did I just blow my only opportunity at a ram? And, and there was tons of doubt sneaking back in on me. And it kind of went back to my whole managing my expectations and enjoying the whole experience and soaking in. I was really trying to control that and say, it's okay. You know, it's okay. Like you'll either have another opportunity or if you don't, you've just got to accept that, you know, and, but you really question yourself and it's, like we talked about earlier, it's, it's really magnified on a hunt like that. If it's just like a, you know, a, a, a mule deer hunt or elk hunt that you do on a regular basis, it's not nearly as a big a deal, but with a hunt like that, man, you're just, you're just like, what, what have I done? Did I do the right thing? You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned, it sounds like there's kind of a gap after you pass that one. Cause you mentioned, you know, I think the next night, the next day, et cetera. So there's a gap in time between you passing this one and then sounds like what becomes your next opportunity. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. So, so anyway, so the next, the next morning we got up and I should have said like, right before we, we left, when I passed this round, we had spotted another band of rams um, further up the, the drainage. And so our plan was the next morning was to go and kind of check those out. Um, we knew that some weren't legal, but we really thought one was promising. And so the next morning we, we work our way up up this other side drainage towards where we'd seen this band of seven and, um, got up in there and we found them. Um, they're bedded probably 1500 to 2000 yards away. And we, we kind of just camped on them and we're trying to, you know, do the, the thing that you do sheep hunting. Okay. is is one legal. And, and, um, as we're sitting there, um, that same group of five ramps from the day before came, came running, up the drainage and right in front of us at like 150 yards. And so we turn, we're setting up on them and really trying to get 
an idea if this double tip ram was legal. But of course, they came past this broadside and then just went straight away and never stopped. They just kept going. And so we never could get the, the, the green light on this, uh, on this double tipped ram. And they went up over the top and back down into the drainage we had camp in. And so really at this point, we're kind of at a decision point. We're like, you know, do we, do we stay? Do we go back after this group of five that we're hoping this one's legal? You know, we've been on them, you know, seen them for like two and a half days now. Do we, do we waste more time going after them? Or do we focus on this um, group of seven that we think one is legal? And it was kind of a tough decision, you know, because it wasn't like clearly that either one of them was, was legal. And, um, so we were just, you know, kind of going back and forth on what do we do? What do we do? And, and, um, my dad was like, you know, I really think this one over here in the group of seven is legal. I really think he is. And, uh, and so we kind of made the determination to, to not keep pursuing that group of five and to see what we could do about this, this one with the group of seven. And, um, um, I, I wanted to, to go and see what was in the next little drainage further up. And, um, so we, we walked down there to kind of look first and we got cliffed out. And, um, so we came back and we're looking and at this time, those, the group of seven had kind of spread out to bed and the two of the rams, one, one being the one we were thinking could be legal had fed over the top into like the drainage that I wanted to go into and look. And, uh, at that point we, we decided, no, that's our best option. We've got to make a play on this. So, so we, we got all ready and, um, started making the climb. It was a nasty, nasty climb up to this, to this ram where he had gone. And, um, my dad was like, you know, I'm going to go to this point and then I don't want to slow you guys down. You guys keep going. And so we made the push, push for, for my Ram and, um, man, St Sterling, my guide, he's like, the guy is like, I don't know, he's six, two or six, three. He's got like giraffe legs. And that guy is just cruising up the hill and I'm doing my best to keep up with him. And, uh, and I, and I, I'm not far behind him, but I'm not keeping up with him. And he gets to the top and I'm not quite there yet. I can see him up there glassing and, and I'm thinking, oh, they must not be there because he's not, you know, motioning me or doing anything. And, and so I get up there to the top, I shed my pack and my coat, my jacket. And, um, and I start glassing off the other direction and, uh, all of a sudden, you know, I feel this little rock hit me, <laughs> Sterling threw a rock at me to get my attention. And he's like, come here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And so, yeah. And so I, you know, I grab my gun off my pack and I kind of, you know, sneak, get low and sneak up there. And, and it worked out perfect because there's like this great big rock that is probably about, I don't know, three, maybe even a little higher than three feet high and about eight feet long. And so it's like the perfect like cover, you know? And so he's right behind this rock with his glass, his binoculars sitting on top of it, glassing. And he looks over at me and he's like, they're right there. And I'm like, what do you mean they're right there? He's like, no, they are right there. I'm like, where? I don't see them. And they were close enough underneath that ledge by that rock that I could not see him. And he's like, they're right there. They're like at 40 yards. <laughs> and I was wow. like, what? 40 yards? I'm like, are you kidding me? And so he's looking at him and, you know, I'm getting ready. I, I chamber around um, and he's glassing him you know, trying to make sure he's legal and, and just keep in mind, I, I just made this huge pull of this hill, shed my jacket, been sweating like crazy. So I, I started kind of shiver a little and I'm like, don't shiver, control yourself. You've got to be stable, you know? And, uh, it seemed like it was forever, but it was probably, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 minutes that he was glassing. And then finally he leans over to me and he's like, shoot the one on the right. And, um, you know, my, my thoughts are at this point that I'm going to ease this gun up over on top of this rock and it's just going to be sheep legs. They're going to be scattering, you know? And so I was trying to prepare myself and, um, I, I eased the gun over the rock and there's the, the smaller ram on the left and he's broadside kind of looking our direction. And then the, the, 
larger ram is on the right and he's bedded facing right at me, looking right at me. And so I slide into the gun and I just remember seeing this ram in my crosshairs, just bedded facing me, just chewing his cud and uh, put it right there, center mass of his chest, looking at me and squeeze the trigger and just stoned him. Just, he didn't even move. And, uh, you know, he starts kicking a little and Sterling's like, you know, just put another one in and we don't want him going down to the bottom of that and having him hauling back up. So I put one more in just because, and, and at that point, you know, I just, it was surreal. You know, I shot my first ram and, it, and just, you know, like my dad said, it, hunting can go from zero to 60 in a matter of seconds, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Dude, I'm sure it's like hard to kind of process, put into words, but yeah, getting together with your dad there with Sterling, putting your hands on the ram. That's that's a cool moment. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. One I I will never forget. Like just just you know the anticipation, the the waiting, the preparation, and then the setting of something like that. It's just just a, a really really special moment. And um, in fact, my dad hadn't climbed up there with us. Um, and so I didn't see him until we had packed the ram down the mountain about halfway to where he had stopped. And, and he was just so excited. He's like, you know, I heard the shot crystal clear and, and I started crying when I heard it. I was so happy for you. Um, just a, a special moment for sure. Yeah. I was going to ask how that came together. If he had come up or what that was like. So you actually packed down to him. Yeah. Yep. Packed gotcha. down to him. Yep. Cool. You know, not to skip over the moment of putting your hands on them for the first time or anything like that, or getting to your dad, but I feel like a lot of times you don't fully, things don't fully settle in until almost like that night or the day after when it's over and you truly have that chance to like, think about, oh, that just happened. Right. So like, yeah, I guess skipping ahead, when did, when did that really hit you? You know, I think it, it really hit me probably the next morning, um, we had, we had packed out, got back to camp like super late, um, went to bed. You know, the next morning I woke up, I kind of woke up a little bit early and I get out there and, you know, my Rams sitting, his, you know, caped out head and stuff is sitting right there. And I just couldn't believe that it actually happened. And, and uh, we decided we're cooking sheep ribs for breakfast. And uh, at that moment, I just was like, this is the coolest thing ever. This, I cannot believe this happened. I unbelievable, you know, I just, just feel so fortunate to be able to have that opportunity and, and just a really, really special moment. So at this point, you guys, it sounds like are quite a ways from base camp, right? Yeah. So at this point, I, I don't know for sure how far we were. Um, I'm guessing somewhere in the eight to 10 miles away range of base camp. And so we decided at this point, you know, let's, let's get this Ram back. We were supposed to have weather come in and, um, weather come in at this point. So we decided to, to pack up, head back to base camp. And so we loaded up all our, our gear, our camp, the Ram and started making the trek back to, to base camp. And, um, it, I mean, the, the minute we started hiking out, it started raining and it rained the entire time we hiked out. Um, I think it took us eight hours to get back to base camp and it just rained the whole time we were <laughs> we had our rain gear and everything and so that was that was beneficial but um you still get you know somewhat wet whether it's from the rain or from the sweat inside of hiking out and uh and just made the grind back to base and um then we took the the next day to kind of try to dry things out and recover and um and then it was on to my dad like he uh I, didn't, I think I, I forgot to mention this. He decided to, to sheep hunt too. So he had a sheep tag and a caribou tag. And um, being the dad that he is, he wasn't going to let himself be put ahead of, of me. You know, he wanted me to get around first. And, um, um, you know, another, another thing that speaks to the, the character of him and the type of dad that he is. And uh, so at that point, we shifted gears and we're looking for my dad and, um, um, keep in mind, you know, with his age and everything. And we just, you know, made that huge pull and back. And so we started hunting somewhat close to base camp after that, that point, looking for my, a ram for my dad. Um, we'd found some rams, but could not find one legal. And, um, 
one, you know, kind of towards the end, uh, we saw this just monster caribou and he actually passed him. He's like, no, I'm hunting a sheep. The minute I shoot that caribou, I'm done sheep hunting, you know, because it's going to take us all day to get him out. Weather's coming in, the plane's coming. And so he passed this caribou and me and Sterling are kind of looking at each other like, oh my gosh, that is a, you're passing that thing. That thing's a monster, <laughs> you know? And so, but he made that decision and, um, didn't happen. And then, uh, the next day, um, we started sheep hunting again, kind of came to a point where he's like, you know what, it's probably not going to happen before we have to leave. I want to, I want to try to harvest something. So let's shift gears to caribou. And I don't want to say it was anticlimactic, but shifting gears from, from sheep to caribou, it, it was different, but, um, it, it turned out good though. You know, we went down and we're glassing the main um, river drainage and and I, dude, I can't, I can't explain caribou. They're so random. Like they, they, they have no rhyme or reason to where they're going. It seems like, you know, yeah. they're oh, here and there and all over. And well, long story short, um, later on that day, we spot this, that same bull, that cranker bull. <laughs> and, uh, we decide, you know, that's the one let's get after it. So we hustled down off the hill and he was with another bull, um, who was decent, but not as big. And, hustled down off the hill and probably hiked a mile just charging after him to try to get in position and we get there and uh, my dad's gonna kill me for saying this but um <laughs> we get there and uh, get set up and he's been hiking hard and we settle in and he gets in and he shoots and i'm like what i'm like dad what are you doing like that's not him she <laughs> shot the wrong caribou because <laughs> the, the bigger one had gone into the brush and you could just see the one. He's like, I didn't know there was two. And, and so he, and it was kind of unusual because he doesn't normally miss. He's a pretty good shot normally. And, but, he, but luckily he had missed this one. And so we watched it for a while and, and made sure it wasn't hit. And um, then the, the, the larger caribou came out and uh, you know, he, he put him down and uh, just a, a cool experience with him to, to harvest that beautiful animal and um, just kind of a, a fitting way to kind of end, end the hunt, you know, for sure, man, it's such a, regardless of whether it's sheep or caribou, or as we talked about earlier, even manjo's expectations of an unfilled tag, like being up in that place. And obviously with your dad, that's just, that's special, man. That's awesome. It's obviously it's, even cooler that you guys got a great caribou and an amazing sheep and got the full experience of weather and all that. That's uh that's a heck of an adventure. Oh yeah. It's, it is definitely one that we'll never forget. And um, I mean, I hope to be back there again someday with my son and give him that kind of an experience and, uh, and do that just super special times. And, and like you said, it's, it's even more special considering the circumstances of how things came together and to be able to share that with my dad and, uh, and, uh, just unbelievable experience, you know? Yeah. Real quick. Uh, did want to hear about, cause I, I could keep you on here all day asking questions, but you also mentioned as we were chatting for the podcast, uh, obviously separate from this trip, but you were able to uh, hunt with your son this past fall and he got his first big game animal, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, it's hard to, to, to compare things to Alaska, but I mean, that hunt was right up there. It was such a special experience. Um, my son, he turned 12 this year is his first year big game hunting. And, and so I, I took him up to Wyoming whitetail hunting and, um, just had a great time with him. Um, I really wanted to, to make it special for him and add to his experience of hunting and, and it's kind of a fine line with, with kids. Cause you, you want them to like, you know, have a good time. So they want to come back, but yet you want them to learn how to work for things and, and earn it. And, um, this hunt played out perfect. I mean, we, I hiked him a little more than I wanted to. Uh, um, I think we ended up doing like between 28 and 30 miles in four days, but I mean, it wow. wasn't hard, wasn't hard hiking, but, it was a lot and we had all the ups and downs of blown stocks and a couple of shot, shot opportunities that didn't happen. And, um, on day four, we had found some, uh, um, a buck and things just worked perfect. Like we had a plan to, you know, make a stock on him and, and just absolutely worked perfectly came, came together and, um, he was able to harvest his first whitetail and, uh, just unbelievable. Like, I mean, 
the whole experience. I mean, we had spotted these bucks um, out in a, they're kind of in an open field and there was like a, a ravine that ran through it. And um, um, we were able to get down in that ravine and use that as cover and, and pop up. And um, I mean, just super cool. And to see his excitement, how he felt about that animal um, just really, you know, it was a great way to kind of end, end the hunting season. Um, you know, best, best season I've had just from those memories with my dad and with my son and just look forward to, to more of those, more of those in the future, you know? Yeah. That's going to be a season that's hard to top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to share the story and uh, hopefully you make it down to hunt expo again this year and maybe we can uh, connect again in person then. Yeah, let's do it for sure. Um, that would be a lot of fun and appreciate you guys. I mean, I love the podcast. I, I gain so much information for those that are on it and from you guys and just really appreciate it. Um, love the packs and uh, can't say enough good things about it. So thank you very much. Before we let you go today, guys, this month in June of 2022, we are running a giveaway through Exo Mountain Gear with some of our industry friends and partners. You can win an Exo Pack System and our Galley Tint, Wiser Precision, Quick Sticks, SNS Archery Trekking Poles. The link's in the show description, so just look where it says June Gear Giveaway. It takes a few seconds to go get entered. Check that out if that's something you would be interested in. As always, guys, thanks again for tuning in. We do appreciate the support and the feedback. As I mentioned prior, you can send us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com or leave us a message with a question for a future Q&A episode. The links for that is also in the show description. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app, and we'll talk to you soon.